listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. This morning, we're starting a new five-week emphasis to challenge us to reach one person for Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, as we begin this series this morning. Matthew 4, 18. It's page 857 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you, if you want to follow along in the translation that I'm reading from. We are reading from the account of Jesus, where he called his first disciples. And as we're challenged by these words, we want to be challenged to what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? Following Jesus means sharing with one. So let's read this together and then I'll pray for us. Verse 18, as he, this is Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this morning as we sang just now, may it be true That, God, we want to hear your word, not because it would be a a cool thing for us to listen to one Sunday, or hopefully uh, it would be a a, a cool way to spend a couple 30 minutes, but instead that it is the word of grace that is given to us that you might change. And, God, we pray that you would use this word to change us and ignite something in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our community, that we would be able to impact just one for Jesus. Let us, God, this morning pray in your heavenly son's name, Jesus. Amen. So two weeks ago, my family and I went to the beach, North Myrtle Beach, and it was the first time we were going to see how Isabella was going to react to sand and water. And so Franklin had the total opposite reaction. He, when he was her age, hated the sand. We had to like put out blankets and anytime he touched the sand, we had to spray the sand off real quick. He hated it. But Isabella was the total opposite. She got down in the sand and she would do, she was like, she was swimming in the water in the sand and she would put her face down in the sand and she was, she was, the snacks we would get her, give it to her. She would not only, she would, if she'd drop it, we would take it from her, but it was almost like we'd give her a new one and she'd say, oh no, I wanted sand uh, as dressing on this. And then she, then she'd eat it. She loved the sand. The thing about when you go to the beach, you know, you've been to the beach because sand is everywhere. 
It is in all places. And poor Isabella, we had to clean her out in every crevice that she had. But we were going through the security lines of the, the airport coming to the beach. And the conveyor belt of the security line was covered in sand. There's a movie, and I can't remember which one. Somebody's going to tell me later. But the, the joke is they were out in the sand, and he, he said, I've got some sand in my shoe. Hold on. And he takes the shoe, and he, and he starts to dump the, the sand, and it just keeps going and keeps going until it's probably about three foot high. That's how we feel, right? Every time we go to the sand, we feel like we've got it everywhere, and we can't get it off. Why are we talking about sand? What? Well, Hopefully, we'll hear a connection here about what it means to be a disciple. In the first century, if you were a Jewish boy or you were a Jewish family, the most important thing that you could do in your faith was to become a student of a rabbi and become a rabbi yourself. It was a great honor to become a rabbi. And to become a disciple of a rabbi who could teach and have authority. And so all children would begin to memorize the Old Testament when they were young. Until the age of 13, they were expected to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And at age 13, if, if they did that and they successfully accomplished that, uh, then they were eligible to go to kind of the next level. Now, a lot of you, as you know, that maybe not everybody could memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. And so there was a weeding out process. And then that next level, boy, if you were going to go to that next level, then you had to memorize the rest of what we know as the Old Testament through the book of Malachi. And so uh, by the time you were 17 or 18 years old, you had to have memorized the entire Old Testament. And at that time, you wanted to be picked up by the, 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 the rabbis with authority, the most successful, well-known, authoritative teaching rabbis. You wanted to become their disciple because in doing so, you were allowed to follow them, listen to them, learn from them. And so the rabbis would pick the best and the brightest to be their disciple. And so the disciple would follow this teacher and they would follow them and listen how they engage with the Old Testament, how they ask questions, how they answer questions, how they deal with life. And the disciple of a rabbi, one of the best compliments that you could give to one of them, it was a saying that was something to the effect of this. The dust of the rabbi is on you. What did that mean? Well, it meant that they were so close to their teacher. They were such a good follower that everything their teacher did, they were repeating. They were reacting in the same wise way as their teacher it was this, it, it, they were in the room, it was like the teacher was in the room. And the compliment was, boy, everything that the teacher has done has splashed up all over you, is all over you. The question that I'd like to ask you this morning, and honestly myself, is how much do we look like 
that the dust of Jesus is on us. How much does it look like in my life, in your life, that we're following Jesus? That we act, behave, have wisdom, that we respond, that we make disciples like Jesus. You know, unfortunately, I see so many people who are more concerned about being an admirer of Jesus instead of a disciple of Jesus. One who thinks Jesus is a cool guy, that maybe even I want to follow him with my life, that I want the, the insurance that I go to heaven someday. Uh, I think he's a cool guy that I, I, I like the stories, I wanna have great faith, I wanna do like that, but instead the rest of their life says nothing about that they are following Jesus. They don't look like Jesus at all. They don't behave like him, act like him, respond like him, make disciples like him. They walk around with a Mr. T starter set, a big old gold cross chain around their necklace and saying, I'm a Christian. But then you look at the rest of their life and they have nothing to do or look like Jesus. Friends, we must be careful that we don't admire Jesus but that if we truly are a disciple, that we're following Jesus. That, that we look like Jesus in our lives. And this morning, I want us to look at this passage and just, just see a few things that it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. Jesus chooses us. Now we're seeing this verse here that Jesus, as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Now this, it's very clear that we don't over, over speak or overthink this text to think that Jesus is just walking down the road and just says, oh, those two guys look good. Let's, hey, you guys come on and follow me. You know, then he goes down the road a little bit further. Oh, those, they look you know, strong enough that they can walk around for a while, but you've come follow me. No, the reality is, and what we see through the scriptures, is the Bible teaches that God chooses, God sovereignly chooses his people. Uh, from the beginning of Abraham to the people of Israel to Jesus' disciples, this is part of God's sovereign plan. He had a plan for James and John. He had a plan for, plan for Peter and Andrew. And Jesus looked at him and said, looked at them and said, you come follow me. Now this is a, a good reminder and teaching for us today to be reminded that God has chosen us. Over in the book of Ephesians, it speaks from beginning to end about how God's gift of choosing us is. That, that there was not something that God saw extra special about us, but instead, because of his mercy, that he saved us. As a matter of fact, the book of Ephesians tells us that we were once dead in our sin, that we had no capacity to love God if it wasn't for his grace to choose us and save us. Now, the book of Ephesians goes on to tell us, to encourage us this, that the fact that because of this, your hope right now, my hope right now, 
is that no matter the circumstances in our life, no matter what is going on, we can be confident in this. God chose me. God chose you. And he loves you. You cannot be shaken from this fact that no matter what happened, God has chosen you and his love is greater than any circumstance that you might find yourself in right now. But let us also understand this, that when God chose you, just like these disciples, he had a purpose for you. And just like in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were talking about, verse 10, he reminds us of this, that for We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You have been saved. You have been chosen. You are in God's family to play a a role in redeeming the world to Christ. God saved you so that you are the person beside your friend the locker in your school so that the person on each side of you's locker can see a representative and hear the gospel from you. The God has chosen you so that in your workplace, that if there is no representative of the gospel, you are there to show and share Christ. That in your neighborhood, it is not by happenstance that you just happened upon a realtor and this happened to come, this house came up. No, God planned ahead of time so that you would be right there, so that you would know your neighbor on your right and your left and across the street and behind you so that at least that they had seen someone following Jesus and heard the gospel. Friends, be reminded of this that Jesus chose you. So you're special to God no matter what happens. And you are part of his plan for the, uh, to return the world to him. Do you realize that and do you live like that? Well, disciples understand this. Secondly, if you're following along, Jesus chose the willing, not the best. Jesus chose the willing, not the best. We read on to see that he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting the net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And then immediately they left their nets and followed him. And the same way, he sees James and John and left their father. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus chose his disciples, he chose ordinary people. He didn't go around asking for resumes. He didn't choose the one with the highest level of recommendation. He verbally asked this. This was his only qualification. Are you available? Yes or no? Are you available? And that's what we find from the first disciples. John MacArthur looked at it this way or explains it this way. When he, Jesus was choosing his disciples, Jesus could have gone anywhere in that point of history, in any point of the world, to find his disciples. He could have gone to the scholars that were in Egypt. He could have gone to the great library in Alexandria. He could have gone to the great philosophers in Athens. He could have gone to the powerful in Rome. 
He could have gone to Herodotus, the great historian that was living in the day. He could have gone to Socrates, the great philosopher. He could have gone to Julius Thinker, Julius Thinker, Julius Caesar, the great ruler. But he chose men that were so ordinary, it was comical that of all the people that he could have chose, most of them smelled like fish. One of them was an IRS agent, and one of them was a terrorist, reformed terrorist. Jesus did not choose the greatest among people. He chose the ordinary. And when a disciple chooses to follow Jesus, this is what we learn. God has chosen us that if we're willing, he will work through us. Why does he choose ordinary people? Because it would be clear to them, to me, to you, that it was not you doing it. It was God working through you. The clear, wondrous nature of this is that God doesn't say, follow me, I'm going to tell you what to do, and then go do it. No, he says, come, follow me, and I'm going to do it through you. So friends, don't doubt yourself. Don't think of who you might be, that you have nothing at the table to bring, no skills, nothing that you can do. Well, here's the good news. Jesus chose you for that reason, because he's going to do something mighty in you. I went to a mission trip to Nicaragua, and there was several of us on the team that had been planned, and, and every team member had to share the gospel and uh, there was not an exam, you know, that was what we had to do. And the quietest little 13-year-old, I don't think I've probably heard her say five words uh, the whole trip. And we had gone to a couple villages and people were, were responding to the gospel. And um, we went to this one village and there was just a lot of confusion about, we were handing out food and then we would present the gospel and then we'd hand out food and all this stuff. And, and um this little 13-year-old, there was confusion going on and things weren't working out. So she goes over into the corner and she had been working just on these little bracelets that kids could do. And so she kind of just got bold as she was doing this with kids and she looked up and there was just a lot of people, because there was confusion of the going over here, people just started st kind of paying attention to what she was doing. And she just shared, the, she just kind of, and just boom, she went for it. I mean, her little small soft voice, but she just spoke out with authority. And that village, more people responded to the gospel than any of the others. What did she do? She made herself available and said, God, use me. And God did. Friends, God chooses you, and if you let him work through you, it's a guarantee that the work will be done and completed because it's not based on your expression, gifting, talented nature. It's based on the power of God. And so if you make yourself available, if you understand that God is, you make yourself willing to, for God to use you, you will see Jesus do great things. If you're confident 
that if you are sharing the gospel, many of us kind of go to our workplace and say, well, you know, if Jesus was here, he would be able to win everybody. You know, he's the master, master evangelist. And you kind of wait because you feel like maybe you're inadequate. Well, here's the cool thing. Yes, Jesus could do that, but Jesus has sent you so he can do it through you. Stop waiting for somebody else. Understand that God has appointed you and is going to help you share the gospel. So the question for us today, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, how available are you to God? How are you making yourself available for God to use you? When are you going to stop, say, God, I'm not going to stop making, I'm going to stop making excuses. When are you going to say, I'm going to quit looking to my family and to my marriage and to my ministry and to my workplace and asking, what can Sean do? But instead saying, God, what can you do through me if I make myself available? Friend, a disciple of Jesus is one who is willing not necessarily the best. Number three, if you want to fill in the blank there, it is our primary calling is to be with him, willing to leave it all. Our primary calling is to be with him, willing to leave it all. We see, look, the simple question is, follow me. Not follow my movement, not follow this. It is just being with Jesus. And what do we find out? That these disciples were willing to leave it all for the Father. They understood that Jesus is sweeter, Jesus is more important, Jesus is worth it all. The call is to be with Him. Why do you think this author, now in verse 21 we read, uh, going on from there he saw two brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. That was their response. Why do you think that the writer, Matthew, included those details? They left their boat and their father and followed him. Well, because it emphasizes two things that have the most control on us in our lives. The disciples at that day, they're fishermen. That boat was their job. Their boat was their livelihood. Their boat was their money. Their boat was everything to them to provide for them. Their boat was significant. And the father, the most important relationship in that day is the father, with their father. They were working the family business. They were apprenticing with their father. They were there to take care of their father. They were loved by their father, and yet they left them both to go follow Jesus. The reminder to us is if we are to be a faithful disciple that we must be willing to leave it all. Being willing 
to follow Jesus takes precedent over both our job and our family. David Platt acknowledges, he says, disciple-making involves far more than just leading people to trust Christ. Disciple-making involves teaching people to follow Christ. This necessitates that we show people, particularly new Christians, what the life of Christ looks like in action. See, a, a follower, disciple, we are following Jesus. We're leaving it all for his sake. When we are saved, we are called to turn from it and follow Jesus. Nothing takes precedent over Jesus. Now, most of us in this room will not be called to leave your job and your family. Most of us maybe is not the calling, but let's be real. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the world, the first time they utter Jesus and put their faith in him, they have put a division between them and their family. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, in China, in the Middle East, in India, in all these places, once they say Jesus, they are separating themselves from all connection to their family, and in some places, that their own families will kill them because of it. But they understand following Jesus is better. Some of you might not be asked ever to give up your job for Jesus, but some of you will. Some of you will be called to say that Jesus has called me in my life to give up this job to be a missionary or to go serve in a church plant or to work in some ministry. But the reality is that calling in our lives should be on the table as a disciple. No matter what Jesus has called us to do, we say, Jesus, here's our blank check to follow you. Whatever you want us to do, we will do. We know it's a bitter experience, but we know that it's a sweet experience because we're following Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, college student, maybe you're following Jesus as a call to then say, I'm gonna take a year off from school. God's just saying, I need to follow Jesus. I need to give a year to the mission field. And maybe your parents, maybe, maybe people around you say, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Why would you do that? And you're going to have to answer in that question, well, is following Jesus worth it? High school student, you are being called to live for Jesus on your campus. And yeah, it might cost you, you know, say there, there's that goody-goody that Christian. There's that virgin there's that person that, you know, calls themselves a Christian. There's going to be a lot of pressure for you to say, I'm going to live for Jesus or I'm going to go with the crowd. Are you going to say, Jesus is worth it? Some of you in the business world, you're going to be asked, am I going to cut corners? I mean, you can say every business or every workplace is, is being cutting corners in some way. Well, at what point are you going to say following Jesus is not worth me doing this and representing him this way? Are you going to be willing to say Jesus is worth it? 
As a disciple, we're called with our own money. That we, The Bible teaches us that one of the ways that we show that we follow Jesus is that we're generous with it, that we give first fruits the best to the church, to his ministry, and, and that we give that. There's no one way other than we see that Christ has called all of our lives to be under his lordship. And is this something that we're showing that we are faithful in? Are we going to say that following Jesus is worth it? Friends, see, to follow Jesus means you subject everything in your, in your life to his lordship. You forsake what he has forbidden and you pursue everything he's prescribed. That's what a disciple does. You forsake everything he's forbidden and you pursue everything he's prescribed. And you say, it is all worth it because Jesus has set me free. Are you a disciple that is following Jesus and making him your primary love? Fourthly and finally, we see in this scripture is that following Jesus is obedience to the command to share the gospel. The disciples have, have, were called, follow me in verse 19. And then he says, and I will make you fish for people. Remember, we say that a teacher, a rabbi, is teaching what he does to his followers. Jesus was asking them and telling them right up front, Here's the job description. This is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to teach you to do. You're going to fish for people. Well, what does this mean? Well, we know later on in Luke chapter 19, we see that Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And so when Jesus says here, you follow me, I'm going to, I'm going to make you fish and help you fish for people he is saying to you and he's saying to me, he is saying a disciple follows and fishes. A disciple shares the gospel. A disciple makes, the, makes other disciples. And actually, that if you're not doing this, you're probably not a disciple. Because if you are following Jesus, and the dust and sand of Jesus is getting on you, and you're looking more and more like Jesus, and yet you're not making disciples like Jesus, then there is a void in your following. There's something that's not like you, that's not like Jesus in you. So, oh, pastor, okay, you've you like to over-exaggerate. I know you've been off for a couple weeks preaching, and I know you're fired up. You're saying to me that, okay, well, now you're not sharing the gospel. You're not a disciple. Okay, I'm going to call you right now. Luke chapter, excuse me, Luke, John chapter 15, verse 8. Listen to Jesus' words. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and... How does it finish? Prove to be my disciples. If, Christ, if you're following Christ, you are growing in him, growing in him, using you. The Holy Spirit is growing you in your faith. He is using you to impact others. And in so doing, you are showing that Christ is 
in your life that you are his disciple. We are called to reproduce spiritually, meaning that if you are really his disciple, you are called to make another disciple who makes another disciple. That your call is the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission was not just given to the 12. It was given to everyone who follows Jesus. We know the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, verse 18. He says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, the reality that we are called and commanded by Jesus to go make disciples and that we are following Jesus, we fish for people. Now, let me just get a little geeky with the Greek of the, of the, of the Great Commission for just a second. There's, the Greek is the original language of the New Testament that it was written. And if you follow the, the Great Commission, the main verb in that sentence is make disciples. Every other one is a participle describing what making a disciple looks like. So you make a disciple by going, making it a priority to go and talk to people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that you go, you do that by making disciples, that you baptize, that you, what we saw today, that we share the gospel and that we hope that God saves that person, that we baptize them and that they come to faith in Christ and they publicly declare that and that we teach them to do everything that Jesus has commanded, meaning living like Jesus, that discipleship is follow, make, helping others follow Jesus, live like Jesus. That's what making a disciple is. So the question this morning is this, is that are you following Jesus and making disciples? You see, the plan A of Jesus is one person going to another person, person and making a disciple, and that person going to another person and them making a disciple. You see, it's exciting that we come to a church and that there are people here that have been trained to do that, but it is not the pastor's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not your life group leader's job. It is all of our jobs to make disciples. It is not for us to think that we should have a, a backseat view of all the work going on. You see, the plan for Jesus for Northern Kentucky to come to Christ, I hate to break it to us, the staff that plans all this and that, that puts a lot of effort and time in it, is not Bible school. The plan for Jesus primarily to reach Northern Kentucky is not back to church Sunday. The plan for Jesus to reach Northern Kentucky and people to come out of darkness into the light is not Fireside Christmas or Easter egg hunt or trunk or treat or any of these things. Can God use those? Yeah. 
But what is Jesus' primary way to reach people? It's through you sharing the gospel with someone else. It's with his people reaching other people with the gospel. It's one disciple going to another one and sharing the gospel with them. God's plan for Northern Kentucky is individual women and men making disciples. It's not, Jesus' plan is not something, it's someone. It's you sharing with one. We at the church want to come alongside. We want to equip. We want to train. We want to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And we want to challenge and we want to encourage. And we want to help you make disciples. But we cannot put a dent in northern Kentucky and the lostness of that we found that 20% are Christians, which means there's like 60 to 80,000 non-believers here in northern Kentucky. We will not reach all of that number without one person reaching one. So will you go? Friends, Jesus chose you. He uses the willing. He commands you and me to make disciples. This is when we follow Jesus that we look like him. So today, there's only two responses to this passage. It's only two. One, if you're here and you were brought by a friend today, I'm so thankful for your friend inviting you to the church. Because here today, I hope you hear that all of us in this room are nothing special. We were all dead in our sin. That we were lost and separated from God. And that because of this sin, we are spent a lifetime and eternity separated from God. But I hope you hear this, that God sent Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. He came and he had no sin, yet he died on a cross as the payment for our sin. And that he went to the grave and three days later, he rose again, showing God's power over death and his power to forgive. And the Bible says that if you just trust you just in faith trust Jesus, he's my savior, and you repent of your sins, the Bible says you're saved. Now we celebrated this morning, Amy getting baptized. Man, that was so exciting. I was, I'll tell you, I, you can ask Sarah, I don't see her, I'd lock eyes with her, but she's, oh, there, oh, there she is. Uh, you can ask her, I'm a weepy guy. I cried everything. I I cried Hallmark Channel movie commercials. No, I don't. I cried that they're about to start and being on my TV all the time. Now I cried everything. I'm the weepy one in my house. So I'm up here, I'm like fighting back tears, biting my lip. I think I've got like half my tongue is out because I was fighting back tears about here. 
emotional moment. But friends, Amy was not saved up here in these waters. Amy was saved when she called out to Christ on a Saturday afternoon. And you can call out right now and Jesus will save you. Would you reach out to him today? Your second response here comes to the card that you were given. Now, hopefully you don't speak Spanish, but I'll explain the English part of that for you. If you want to take that out right now, we're extending this right now. On the card, I'm going to borrow yours because I forgot to grab mine over here. Uh, On one side here, it says nombre. I think I said that right, but it really means name. I want you right now to think about who is one person that you in the next five weeks can meet and share the gospel with. The emphasis of who's your one is this, is that over the next five weeks that God has placed somebody in our lives that we need to have an appointment with that we will have a gospel conversation with. That over the next five weeks, we pray and pray and get friends to pray and get the church to pray and that we, we, we message people that we know are prayer partners, that we have them praying, and then we go and we say, hey, you have a minute that we can have a cup of coffee? Or, hey, could you come over to my house this Thursday or next Thursday? Or could, you, could we meet together um, while the kids play at the playground? There's something that I'd like to talk to you about that's on my mind. That means for the next five weeks, right now, we are praying that God would use who's your one to help each of us identify one. I've got mine. It's down there. I have to go get it. I have mine filled out of somebody that God has placed on my life, someone that I know that God has been pushing and pushing for me to share the gospel. And I'm going to make sure in the next five weeks, I'm just going to have an appointment with him and share the gospel. So right now, I want you to write that name down. Who is that person? Now here's, I want to take a little bit of relief off of you because the first thing is, what did we say? God chooses us. Look, we're not asking, we're not saying that every person that's going to be shared the gospel is going to be saved. We will celebrate that, right? But what is the obedience act here? Sharing, telling the gospel. The Bible says that one cannot believe the gospel unless they hear it or they read it. So you need to be that avenue in their life to share the gospel. So right now, write down that name. Write down that name. God has been working. We've shared it with our leaders. They've been praying about that name. Our life group leaders, they've been sharing about that name. In your life groups, we're going to be following up and praying for those names and finding out each week where you are in that and how can, you, how can we help you. And in the next five weeks, we want you to have that appointment And we're going to be praying for you as a church. So write that name down. And just a moment, Mark's going to come up and he's going to lead us in singing. And as we're singing, we're all going to be singing and praising God. 
But as you're singing, I want you to come forward and just lay those cards here on the, on the uh, what are those called? Steps. And just to say, there's nothing magical. We're not keeping score of names and who's doing it and who's not. But this is just saying, God, I'm committing to you and committing to my brothers and sisters that I'm going to pray and I'm going to make myself available these next five weeks for you to use me. And this is the name that I want you to do. And this is not a pass or fail. This is just a, hey, God, I want you to use me. So the musicians, some of you are going about to come up in just a second. You might want to go ahead and write yours down now and lay it as you come up to lead us in music. I was thinking about, but let's hear in just a second. I'm going to pray for all of us. I'm going to pray for your names. You know their name. I don't know their name. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to use who's your one to help you, to help me, Help us reach people in northern Kentucky. So let me pray. God, we ask you this morning, we're thankful for this reminder and challenge from your word that followers follow, follow followers fish. And so God, I pray this morning that as we bring these names to the front, God, we pray this morning that as we come, that we are saying, God, we're making yourself, ourselves available. We're not going to rely on you. We're not going. Uh, we're going to rely on you. We're not going to rely on ourselves. We're going to trust you. We're just going to share, and we're going to see God what you will do in our lives. We pray, God, this morning that you would put the right person's name on our heart that we would go, that we would make that scheduled appointment, that we, would, that we would step out in faith, that we would share, that we would move. But most importantly, God, you would move. God, we pray right now for these names that we're about to lay here, that God, already you in the Spirit are already working. You've been working from before eternity for this. So God, I pray that as you use us to be that connection from a, to a lost person for the Lord, we pray that you would use this time. Who's your one? We know there is one, our Heavenly Father, who will use us to do mighty things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But He was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.